Uh, scripture reading today is Leviticus chapter 19, verses 9 and 10. It's page 85 of your pew Bible. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. This is the word of the Lord. I'm always amazed at how God takes uh, the different pieces of a service at Brookwood and kind of weaves them together uh, to become what it is, what we participate in. Uh, Keith and Ethan, Jim and Amy meet on a weekly basis on Tuesday afternoon, kind of line out the service primarily, but there are always little things that come along, opportunities and et cetera, that are kind of woven into that to make it such a beautiful experience. And like Nett Daly's testimony, um, I didn't know what she was going to say. I invited her to be here to share, uh, but that was just, I hope you heard what she said because uh, that was such a beautiful expression of the generosity of God. And, and uh, got an email this week from Wes Spears, and uh, just he was talking about what he's going to be doing this summer, and it is a perfect fit to the two scripture verses that we've looked at this morning. So I've asked Wes, if you would, to come. Wes was one of Jim's pre-men students at Samford University. Um, he went to Duke Divinity School on a scholarship where he's just finished his first year as a seminary student. He's going to be here in Birmingham with us this summer, and we're going to tie a knot, right? Forgot about that in the first service. You're getting married in August? Yes. Okay. Well, you come and uh, tell us how, how the weavings come together. Well, um, I emailed Tim this week because... I'm working quite literally with what exactly this passage in Leviticus is talking about. We don't use the word gleaning very much anymore. It's not something that enters your normal vocabulary, but literally that's still happening um, around the country. I'm working with a nonprofit called the Society of St. Andrew that seeks to solve two primary problems. The first is food waste in that we use about 50% of our land in the United States for farming and food production, and we waste about 40% of what is grown, um, either in the grocery stores or in our own homes. And the other problem that I think everyone's more aware of is that there are millions of people hungry in the United States. And I thought for a long time that that was because there wasn't enough. I thought people are hungry because there's not enough food, but that's so dramatically not the case, that we have an overabundance of food, like the passage in Leviticus talks about, but we don't leave the corners of our fields for those who are poor and those who are hungry. So what the Society of St. Andrew seeks to do is go into farmers' fields and take food that would otherwise go to waste and get it to agencies that immediately get it to those who are hungry and those who are in need. So that's what I'm doing here in Birmingham this summer. It's what I've been doing the past year in North Carolina as well. 
And I would love to encourage any of you can become a part of that, either out in fields, if you feel so inclined, it's a great family activity, um, or at farmer's markets in the city where we glean from farmers who don't want to take all this excess food back with them. Um, so I'll be talking more about that on Wednesday night after the fellowship dinner. I'll be talking about food, justice, and the Bible, and I'll touch on some of that too. And just wanted to be able to share with you that this is not some abstract reality as Tim's going to talk about. Like, this was not just meant for Israel. This was meant for us too. And you can still do that today. So thanks. Thank you, Wes. I hope you'll get a chance to come Wednesday night to hear more about that. Um, I want to run a disclaimer before I get too far into this. I've never preached on Leviticus in my life. I've never done a January Bible study, a teaching on Leviticus in my life. And, And quite honestly, it was one of those books where when I would sign up for read the Bible through in a year, and, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus... And kind of, you know, kind of move through there fast as you can. That's the kind of book Leviticus always was for me. But I, for some strange reason, well, God, uh, uh, it's not strange. God has just brought my attention, zoom, into the teachings of Leviticus. And I, I, you know, you'll do some weird things before you pass away. And this is one I never saw on a radar. I'm really interested in the teaching in Leviticus, and and here's why. Uh, The children of Israel had been in bondage for about 400 years uh, in Egypt. And, you know, you just think about 400 years, that's almost twice the age of our country. So uh, generation after generation, I won't go on, but you get the picture. I mean, how many generations had lived in Egypt and had nothing. Okay? So so and then God leads them out of Egypt. They cross the Red Sea and they're out in this wilderness and again, what do they have? They have nothing. They don't basically they don't own anything except maybe what they carried on their backs as they came out of Egypt. I mean, that's just kind of the way it was. And so here, when Leviticus was given, they're at the base of Mount Sinai, experts tell us, and it was somewhere around 1450. And and God all of a sudden gives them this whole book, and in the book, he's outlining how they should live, how they should think of God, and and services they should do, um, um, acts they should perform and etc and they're sitting out here in the middle of nowhere uh, uh, you know and they're probably thinking okay you know god you're telling me i'm supposed to leave the corners of my land and let people come along i'm not supposed to pick all the grapes i'm you know but they don't have anything there's nobody in this group of however many thousands of people there were who owned one inch of property Now get that in your mind as you're thinking about what God is saying to them. So in in the first part of Leviticus, he goes through the offerings that they're supposed to participate in and 
Chapters 8 through 10, he goes through the, the uh, priesthood of Aaron and his sons and how the priesthood is supposed to function. Chapters 11 through 16 are prescriptions for various types of uncleanness. And then you get down to the 19th chapter, uh, uh, and, and it starts off this way. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel, and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. If someone were to ask you to summarize the book of Leviticus, you could very easily summarize it in this, with this short phrase. God is holy, and God expects me to be holy. That's it. That's the book. That's, that's what he's telling them in all of these verses. And, and it goes on, it gets down to verse 9 and verse 10, as was read just a moment ago. He says, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest, and you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner, I am the Lord your God. Now, there, I learned a lot in the seminary. I need to say that. One thing that I learned that was huge. When you see that phrase, I am the Lord your God, that's, whoa. Okay? That's not exactly how my professor of Old Testament interpretation put it. That's Tim Clark. When you see that phrase, that's, man, this is important. And so what amazes me is, as I think about it, is the, is the heart that God had and the provision that God made for the least of these. And let me tell you something, folks. You can read through the whole Bible, not just Leviticus. You can read through the whole Bible, and it is amazing to me how God over and over and over and drills it and drills it and drills it and drills in how we're to provide for the least of these. It's all the way through. You want to ever see God get red in the face as you read the scripture. And he does as you read the scripture. You will find it almost every single time as he's talking about the neglect of the least of these. And to show you the heart that God has, he's talking to these people, and again, they own nothing. They don't own an inch of property. Nobody has a farm. Nobody's got any land whatsoever, but he is so interested in the care of the least of these that he is nailing it down so specifically that he he didn't just say, hey, take care of the least of these and help them out with some of your produce. He's describing 
how to use the far, and I don't know if your translation says the far corners. If it, does, if it doesn't, it really should, because that's the translation. It's so neat. God tells them, you give the far corners of your field to the poor. You know why he chose the far corners? This shows how specific God is for poor people. He wanted no embarrassment on their part. He didn't want any of us sitting in the big house and seeing those people, oh, who's that? I'm not sure they deserve it. None of that, because we're to reserve the far corners of our field. Now, I want to challenge you. We've got some financial planners in Brookwood Baptist Church. We've got some really good financial planners. I want to challenge you. The next time you talk to your financial planner, say to your financial planner, I want to talk about the corners of my feet. Let you and I talk about the corners of my field because of the provision that God makes in His Word that is so specific. Now, I told you a few minutes ago, this is not a sermon on tithing. What I find really interesting is tithing is separated from this generosity of sharing produce, sharing from your farm. Tithing is actually addressed in the 27th chapter of Leviticus. It's not that it's not in there. But in the 27th chapter of Leviticus, verses 30 through 32, God says, one-tenth of your produce, grain, fruit, belongs to the Lord, must be set apart to Him as holy. So that means every ten bucks you earn, one of those bucks is not to be set aside for Brookwood Baptist Church. Not to be, it doesn't say that in Leviticus. I'm a literalist here. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say it's to be set aside for the finance committee of Brookwood Baptist Church. It says one out of every ten bucks is to be set aside as holy and it belongs to me. And when God uh, ends this discussion, it's, he gives us another one of those, and I am the Lord your God. He wants to make sure we understand uh, what the deal is. But this corners of your field is separate. And, and I'm very thankful that Brookwood Baptist Church basically is a corners of your field church. We've had many times when we've made investments in, in people and in places where it would have been a lot easier probably to have just put that in a sock and used it for something. Let me give you an example or two. Angela Nobutano is a young lady that lives in Tororo, Uganda. There she is. Um, I met her. She was my interpreter two years ago in Tororo. But Angela's mother died when she was young. Her father is a polygamist, and uh, he is a Muslim. When Angela accepted Christ as her Savior as a teenager... Her father kicked her out of the house. That's it. I mean, there was no more money, nothing. You just, you're gone. And so she had to drop out of school. She's very smart. She knows at least three languages. She interpreted for me in and out of those the whole time. But when I met her, she was 27 years old. She had, because she had no money, she had responded to an ad to go to Nairobi to be a house slave. Now, that's a common thing. We've been so sickened and angered 
by what's happened in Nigeria with, uh, with the folks over there, you need to know that human trafficking, even though it's not like 300, which is unbelievable, it's a daily occurrence in, in a lot of places in the world. And so she was promised a job as a house slave in Nairobi. She got there, and the owner of the house molested her. And so she had a child, that little boy named Joel, who's one of the sweetest little kids you'll ever meet. But she couldn't go to school. She couldn't help herself. She was just barely staying alive. Brookwood Baptist Church has made arrangements through one party and another party to help Angela go to school. She's going to school right now. She gets up every morning. She lives in this little, I'd call it a shack, one room. Uh, she gets up every morning, and she puts Joel in a day school. She goes to school. She comes home. She wants to be a nurse. She's studying to be a nurse. Out of the corners of our field, Angela is going to be enabled to do that. Moses O'Shane. Some of you have heard me talk about Moses. Moses lived in the Kabira slum, one of the worst slums in the whole world. Uh, his mom and dad had died of HIV, AIDS. Uh, he didn't think he had any relatives left. He found out he had a grandmother. He moved in with her and, and like nine or ten other people. And it was discovered that Moses is brilliant. Uh, and so he couldn't go to school. Public, I mean, there is no public school for like high school in Kenya, Uganda, etc. And so the corners of the fields of Brookwood Baptist Church made arrangements for Moses to get his high school diploma. And now he's about to finish at Kenyatta University. I took him a suitcase of old shoes from Brookwood Baptist Church back in January. I had a suitcase of my stuff and a suitcase of your old shoes. In the other hand, going through the airport in Nairobi, gave those to Moses. Moses sold those shoes to other students at Kenyatta University to make some money to keep his boat afloat as he's going to school. You know, I told Moses, I said, Moses, you're so smart. Why don't you major in business or something like that? His major is special education. Isn't that neat? What a heart. Uh, and he's doing his student teaching right now. Uh, and, and he'll be graduating from Kenyatta not too long from now. And that's out of the corners of the field of Brookwood Baptist Church. In 2011... We had an extra $5,000. The missions committee did. Now, we could have very easily put that $5,000 into a sock because we have needs at our church. Do you know there's holes in the windows? Really, there's literally, you don't notice it. I do because it's part of my job. You can get in certain places. You can literally look right through the holes in those windows. We've been working on air conditioners here all last week and trying to take, you know, we could have put that 5000 in a sock and we could have used it to meet need right here. Rather than that, our church, I'm so proud, out of the corners of our field, we took that 5000 and we put it in what's called a bank of hope in the Dominican Republic. That $5,000 was used to make small loans to, uh, to microfinance entrepreneurs to the point of like 30 bucks, 40 bucks, 50 bucks for people to have businesses in the Dominican Republic. What's so neat about this is 
it's so accountable. I mean, there's a picture of the person. There's how much they borrowed. Uh, that lady borrowed 25,000 shilling or pesos. She repaid 29,843. No penalties, no current balance. That was $5,000 that was used in 2011. Stay with me. $5,000 in 2012, a different group of people. $5,000 in 2013, and now $5,000 in 2014 has been loaned out. The people that borrow that money in the Bank of Hope, they're discipled every week. They come together, they sing praise hymns. You talk about a neat worship service, you get with, and I've done it. You get with a group of these ladies in the Dominican Republic, they're thrilled with God and what God is doing. My point is, it's, at, it's in the corners of the field of Brookwood Baptist Church. Our finance committee, our missions committee could have said, we, we're going, we need to keep that money. We're going to put that in a sock, and they would have been justified in doing that probably, but we didn't. Out of the corners of the field, we were willing to help those people. So what I'm trying to say is, God made provision then... And God has made provision now. But do you know what really hit me like this is why did God have to say this to these people? And they didn't own an acre of land. They're sitting out there at the base of Mount Sinai. Why did God have to say to them, now don't harvest the corners of your field and after you take your produce off one time, you don't come back a second time you let poor people come and glean. Why did he say that? Because of selfishness. God knows us. God knows us. God knows we're sinful. John Calvin talked about total depravity. We don't like to talk about total depravity, but that's it. Starting in the Garden of Eden, we are sinful creatures. Now we've been redeemed, many of us. But it wasn't because of any goodness. It wasn't because we're in the bank of hope. It's because of sheer grace. God's sheer grace. But God knew mankind. And He knew mankind is basically selfish. Basically self-centered. Basically ego-centered. And so God had to sit these people down and go over the specifics. And they apply to us as well as to everyone else. There are lots of great models out there of generosity. And God is calling not only Brookwood Baptist Church to continue to be generous and continue to be out of the work out of the corners of our field. Another great example is our Builders for Christ. That's such a partnership. A church in Springfield, Virginia does a lot of work. They do a lot of planning. They provide materials and etc. We send laborers up there, which we did just the last couple of weeks, and they are involved in helping build the structure. But those people from that church in Springfield, they're right out there with sweat equity, and they're helping too. It's not just some giveaway. It's a part of the gleaning or the quarters of the field. But what I want you to consider this morning is, let's don't talk church, let's talk you.
Do you have a generous heart? Do you have a generous heart? We've got some great examples of that at Brookwood Baptist Church. I could stand here and take an hour to just name you things that have amazed me. I was in a meeting at True Vine Thursday. One of the families from our church walked in. I didn't know they were going to come in there. I didn't know they were stopping by. They said, here, we've got an extra vehicle, and uh, here's the keys, here's the title. Can you use it to help somebody? Ned, who's standing here, she's one that was gifted with a vehicle so she could get to work uh, at Chick-fil-A at Brookwood Village Mall. Now, that happens here all the time, but, but I want you to think about it. Let's watch this clip from the blind side. My grandson and I watched it again the other day. It's such a neat message. So think about this while you watch it. What is he wearing? It's freezing. What's his name again? Big Mike. Where is he going? Hey, Big Mike. Where are you headed? Jim. Go ahead. My name's Leanne Tui. My kids go to Wingate. You said you were going to the gym. School gym's closed. Why were you going to the gym? Big Mike, why were you going to the gym? Because it, it's warm. Do you have any place to stay tonight? Don't you dare lie to me. Seen that look many times. She's about to get her way. Come on. Come on. SJ make room. Get inside. Come on. Where are we going? Home. His name was Ferdinand. All the other little bulls he lived with would run and jump and butt their heads together. But not Ferdinand. He liked to sit just quietly and smell the flowers. He had a favorite spot out in the pasture under a cork tree. It was his favorite tree, and he would sit in its shade all day and smell the flowers. Good night. Good night. What? What? Why are you smiling? 
I don't know. I'm just happy. Real happy. Does this happiness have anything to do with Michael? No. It has everything to do with Michael. Mm. You have a desk, a chest of drawers. You have a nightstand, a light, an alarm. Oh, and Sean says all the pro athletes use futons if they can't find a bed big enough, so I got you one of those. Of course, the frame was heinous. It's not about to let that in my house, but I got you something nicer. It's mine? Yes, sir. What? Never had one before. What, a room to yourself? A bed. My dream as a pastor is to see us become a generous church and continue to be generous, not just as a church, but as individuals. Um, and, and, you know, we can really bring change if we do that. Uh, that's happened to the lady who stood right here. Do you have any idea what it's like to live in the Kingston Projects with your children? you have a guess? I don't, I'll admit but I know, I know somewhat what we're talking about. And, and yet she's now in a home. She has transportation to a job. Uh, we, can all, we can't all do the same thing. God's not calling us all to be just as generous. But God is calling us to consider the corners of our field. I had lunch with a man the other day and he told me, he brought the subject up, I didn't. He said, Tim, he said, my wife and I have talked. He said, we've, we've helped our children get through college. He said, we have a son that's just gotten his ma- or getting his master's degree at Vanderbilt. And we have a daughter who's, and I don't remember, but it's a school. And so he said, we've talked to our financial planner. And, and we've told the planner, we want one-third for our son, one-third for our daughter, and one-third for the corners of the field. One-third for charity. And I thought that was such a, a neat testimony. But it's all it's different for all of us. But but let's consider it as we sing our hymn of invitation. Let's consider God's calling. And if you're here and God is calling you to just give your heart and life to Christ, maybe that's a great first step for you. Let's make it. Or if you're here and God's calling you to move your membership and become partners with a church that is a generous church, then let's do that as well. Whatever decision God's placed on your heart, you make it public as we stand and sing.